0: 2 Samuel chapter 9, where we see and we learn of the covenant that God had made earlier, I'm sorry, that David had made earlier in his life with Jonathan, and the outworking of the covenant love that David pledged to Jonathan many years before. Follow along with me as I read. Reading the story here of a Jonathan's son named Mephibosheth, who was the grandson of Saul, the, the former king of Israel. We're going to begin in chapter 4. And then advance to chapter 9 to catch up with the story. Chapter 4 says this. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, namely that they had both been killed. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Skipping forward to chapter 9. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Masher, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then the king David sent and brought him from the house of Masher, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face, and he paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage, and he said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba Saul's servant and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall, bring, and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord, ha- my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's David's table, like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Father, we ask that you would help us to see the wonder of your covenant love, the wonder of your grace that you have for us, that you show to us, and that in response, Lord, that we would manifest it and show it in our own lives. Help us to understand, in Jesus' name, amen. Loyal love, dependable kindness, committed affection. For many, it seems like a fantasy, does it not? There was a movie that came out in 1985 called Out of Africa, it was based on a book that was written in 1937. And in this movie, the, the lead actress was played by Meryl Streep and the lead actor by Robert Redford. And it comes to a point in the movie where she wants them to get married. They've been having a romantic relationship for quite some time. She wants to marry him. She is pressuring him to marry her. And he responds that he doesn't want to get married. And he doesn't want to get married to her And he argues that why should we get married? It's not going to change our relationship. And he says about why he doesn't want to get married. He says, listen, I won't be closer to you, and I won't love you more because of a piece of paper. It's amazing. This was written in 1937. It seems like it's a sentiment that could have been written today. And as he says this statement, why do you think that I'm going to love you more simply because of a piece of paper? he is missing the point of a marriage covenant. Is that the point of a marriage covenant of getting married is not to inspire love, but rather it is to secure love's faithfulness. It seems as if people today ask the same question. Many do. Why get married? Do you think I'm going to love you more simply because we have a big party and a wedding ceremony? And you can understand why so many people today ask the question, why bother getting married? I mean, they say, well, you know, why why bother having to deal with all the future legal wranglings if the marriage doesn't work out? I mean, my parents had a messy divorce. My friends have had a messy divorce. I've seen the devastation of that. Why bother? And again, the point of a marriage covenant is not to foster love's intensity, that you hope that will happen, but rather to foster love's security. So much so that when the feelings of love are not there, the security of love's faithfulness is there. That when the feelings of love get misdirected and feelings move outside of the relationship, that the security of covenant love, of covenant faithfulness, is there so that both people can operate securely and live in the security of that covenant love. But most people today have not seen, have not witnessed, or have not experienced the wonder of covenant love. And as we come to this passage of Scripture here, and we see Jonathan demonstrating covenant love, a love that's not a romantic love, but a covenant love to Jonathan and to Jonathan's son, it's a picture that's there to show us and help us to realize that even though many of us have never known or experienced covenant love, it is true that it is only in covenant that you can know the wonder of covenant love. We're going to begin by today looking at the security that comes through covenant love. David, after his kingdom has been established and his throne is secure, he asked the question, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? The Hebrew there word is Hesed that we saw in weeks before? Is there anyone there that I may show him kindness? It's the word for covenant love. Is there anyone that I may show covenant love for Jonathan's sake? This idea of covenant love is the dominant theme throughout this chapter. It's what motivates Jonathan's action. And he repeats it again in verse 3 and also verse 7, that he is seeking to act with covenant love. And when he says, Is there anyone that I can show covenant love for the sake of Jonathan? David is alluding to the covenant that he made. He is recalling the covenant and the promises that he made to Jonathan back in chapter 18 that I preached on a couple weeks ago. If you recall at that time, David and Jonathan, Jonathan being the crown prince, made a covenant with each other that when David became king, that the two of them would um, show covenant love to each other that they would show faithfulness and secure and and protect um, Jonathan's descendants. And they did so by cutting a covenant with each other, that they came up with their agreement, they took animals, they ripped the animals in half, they walked through them to do the handshake, and in so doing, they are calling God as their witness and saying, if I do not fulfill my end of the covenant... May God curse me like these animals. May God rip me in two like these animals that I have just walked between. And it's the dominant theme, covenant love. It's the love that God shows to his people, that he shows to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, that he shows to David as we examined last week. Covenant love, this idea is that it, is, it consumes the ideas of love and loyalty and faithfulness Um, all these things together. But it is not simply love, but covenant love is a loyal love. It's not simply kindness, but it is a dependable kindness. It's not simply affection, but it is a committed affection. And what happens is that when people make covenant and they pledge covenant love to one another, what it does for the recipient of that is this, as Ralph Davis says, Life under the covenant gives you a firm place to stand, and it ought to evoke a sense of security and privilege and wonder from you if you are the recipient of it. It is covenant love that gladly and willingly promises to obligate itself, to bind itself. Why? So that the other person may live securely in that love. That's what we see David doing. David had made a vow. He had taken a vow before God that he had given his word. He had made a covenant with Jonathan in a ceremony with God as his witness, witness asking God to curse him if he didn't fulfill that covenant promise. And he is now acting in devoted love because of the promise that he made. That the promise in the past is directing David's actions in the present. It does beg us this, it, does, it does cause us to consider our own covenant obligations, the, our own promises that we have made before God and sacred obligations that we have committed ourselves to. And to ask ourselves is, are we fulfilling them? Are we showing covenant faithfulness and covenant love? You know, as a church, we, do, we, we enter into covenants in several different, at several different times. When people join the church... They sign, they, they commit themselves to a membership covenant, an agreement. To, you know, they're, they're pledging themselves with God as their witness. That when we have baptism, people take vows, and enter into the covenant of baptism, is what we call it. When people are ordained and installed as elders and deacons and pastors, they make, they make covenantal commitments. And again, of course, there is the marriage covenant where we bind ourselves to covenant faithfulness. And the reason why we do these things is not for pomp, it's not for ceremony, but because in a covenant, it binds faithfulness and binds security. So much so that at times when we don't feel like doing and fulfilling our covenant promises, when we don't feel like loving somebody, this covenant faithfulness, and covenant love that moves us to do so simply, sometimes, because we promise to do so. So it does beg the question for us to ask ourselves, are there promises that you've made before God that you need to fulfill? Are there promises and commitments that you have made to the church, to your spouse, to a, an obligation that you have made before the Lord that you need to fulfill simply because you took a vow and you called God as your witness to live and act in a certain way. There are promises that you have made in the past that need to compel your present faithfulness so that others may live in the security of your covenant promise. That's the security that God gives to us in his covenant love. We're going to see this more in a couple minutes. Second thing I want us to know as we understand the experience of covenant love is how completely illogical it is. How illogical it is. In 1932, Franklin Roosevelt gave a speech in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And in his speech, he declared that he was going to reduce government spending. And he articulated the need to cut federal spending and to cut the federal budget. In 1933, he decided to give another speech in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where he was going to argue for the need to increase government spending and to increase the role of government. And so he asked his advisors, how could he go back to the exact same town in the exact same audience and give a speech pledging to do the exact opposite of what he pledged to do? And his advisors gave him unanimous advice. They said, deny that you ever made the speech in 1932. Just flat out deny it. Seems like it was a page, <laughs> it was a page from the current election cycle. No, this was in 1932. You know, it would have made sense for David to do the same thing. That he had made a covenant with a rival. It would have made sense for David to say, Yeah, you know what, I've kind of forgotten about that. It would have made sense for David to say about the covenant promises that he had. He said for him to say, You know what, You know, it is in the, the security of my dynasty, you know, that's a matter of national interest. I mean, I'm not acting personally here, but rather on behalf of the nation. On behalf of the kingdom, I need to take certain act- actions against the former regime. Or people would say things today like this, well, you know what, there, have been, there has been new information that has, become a, that has become available that was previously unknown that have negated the, fir- the former promises that were made. No one would have questioned David if he had done this. In fact, many, if not most, would have encouraged him to do so. But David knows that he is bound by his covenant. He knows that he has pledged covenant love. And he finds that there is a descendant of Jonathan by the name of Mephibosheth. And this is what's told of him. Yes, there is still a son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, who would be the heir to the throne. And he is crippled in his feet. Mephibosheth has two problems. One... Is that he is lame? There was a tragedy as a child, as after his his father and grandfather were killed and died in battle. That as his nurse was running out of town, apparently he fell. As he fell, he broke both of his legs. He became crippled. He became a dependent. And so, though he was the son of a prince, he had lived his entire life, his entire life as one who was weak, as one who was wholly dependent, as one who had nothing to offer. And now he is coming before the king of Israel, and he has nothing to offer. He is helpless. He has no service to give. He is weak, and he is lame. But he has a problem that is far worse than his lameness. And his problem is his lineage, because he is the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, the heir of the previous rival dynasty. And Mephibosheth knows what his peril is and what usually happens to the descendants of previous regimes after all he is lame in his legs not in his brain so as he approaches the throne he falls down before him and pays him homage says behold i am your servant because he knew that what was most likely what was about to happen is that he was called to the throne so that he would be executed Most people expected that to happen because if there was instability in the kingdom, if there was a coup, they could claim that Saul's descendant, the legitimate heir, particularly people from Saul's tribe, that he is the one who should be king over them. And yet when Mephibosheth comes before the throne, David does something that is completely illogical. He does something that was completely unexpected. Certainly something that Mephibosheth was not expecting. And something that most everybody would argue that Mephibosheth did not, not deserve So that David not only spares his life but blesses him. And the reason that David does so is because David had made a covenant. How illogical. David makes a covenant with the one who would be his chief rival and his chief enemy, the one who is the greatest threat to his throne. David makes had made a covenant with him, and he is faithful to that covenant, and because he is faithful to it, Mephibosheth now lives under the protection, under the security of that covenant, no matter how illogical it is. And God did so. I'm sorry, David did so. He made a covenant with his enemy because he knew the character of the God who had made covenant with him. And David knew the character of the God who later would declare in the book of Romans to us that if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, if while we were enemies, we were not put to death, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more, now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. But it seems that in Romans 5, Paul goes on to length to describe all of our problems. He says, for while we were still weak, while we were lame, that we couldn't even, we didn't even have the ability to serve our king. We didn't have the ability or the option or the power to do what was right. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Not only were we unable, but we went on and kept doing the things that God, our king, didn't want us to do. And not only were we not unable and were we sinners, but Scripture declares that we are enemies of God, that we were the Mephibosheths in the covenant that God made through Jesus Christ. We are the ones who were undeserving, the ones who were lame, who have the problem of our lineage of being born into sin, of people who are sinners and have nothing to serve, nothing to offer. And what God does, the illogic of God's covenant love is that he foregoes giving what we deserve. He foregoes giving to us the right punishment for our actions. And we are the beneficiaries of the illogic of covenant love. Now, many of you are here saying, yes, I, I know that. I've heard this before, and I'm glad that you have. Hopefully you hear it quite regularly here at Cornerstone. But let's also just press an implication of this a little bit further. That if you have been shown covenant love like David was, the response is to show that covenant love to others. And so what that means for you is that if you are going to show love, if you are going to extend grace, if you're going to extend mercy because of the mercy that God has shown to you, if you are going to show that to others, particularly to people who have sinned against you or people who have hurt you, Or people who maybe are outrightly your enemies and people that have wronged you. What it means for you to show them covenant love that you have been shown, it means that, like God has done for you, that you are going to forego giving them what they do deserve. You are going to forego giving them the punishment, the withdrawal, the lack of relationship. You are going to forego. What they do deserve, just as God has, forg- has God has given up, God has not given us what we have deserved. That is the illogic of covenant love and what David does for Jonathan um, and Mephibosheth, what God does for us and what he calls us to do for others. But what is more amazing is not just the illogic of covenant love, but it's the extravagance of it. David, it would have been widely seen and widely regarded that David fulfilled his covenant obligation simply by sparing Mephibosheth's life. I mean, after all, what more could someone want? He gets life instead of eradication. What more could be expected? But notice what David does because of the grace received in his life. He says, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the covenant love of God to him? David goes out looking for people. He goes out looking for ways to show covenant love, to go beyond obligation, to show extravagant grace, extravagant love, extravagant goodness, extravagant blessing on the one who is the recipient of that covenant. So what does David do? He promises Mephibosheth protection. He says to him, do not fear. For I will show you covenant love for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will protect you. You can live without fear. You can live in the security of the covenant relationship that I will protect you. You can see David's provision for Jonathan and for Mephibosheth. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. That Mephibosheth will no longer be a dependent, but he will have a farm and livestock. He will be a producer. He will have provision for himself and his descendants all of his days. And not just simply provision, but he will also be given a new position, not as the exile, not as the the threat to the throne and hiding, but he has a new position that he shall eat at my table always. He shall eat at the table of the king and eat like a son of the king, that he would be cared for extravagantly. He would never be destitute. He would never need to despair because of the extravagance of covenant love that David is showing to him. And it seems that Mephibosheth did enjoy this all of his days because the text says that he always ate at the king's table. Another verse says that he always ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. Do you see how extravagant covenant love is. How God's covenant love for us is so beyond mere logic, beyond mere mercy. It is extravagant in the same ways because it is through God's covenant love for us that we receive protection from our heavenly father. John records Jesus's high priestly prayer where he talks about the protection that is in the covenant relationship. And Jesus prays to his Father, and he says, I give them eternal life, speaking of his sheep, those who are his, and they will never perish. Why? Because he is protecting them, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Why? Because Jesus is guarding them. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That the sovereign Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth, is protecting those who are the recipients of his covenant love through Jesus Christ, and that frees us to live life without fear and to live in the security of a covenant relationship. It's not simply that, but there is protection and there is provision. Jesus asked the question, why do you worry? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, which you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, which you will put on, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Do you hear God's provision that comes through his covenant love? And he goes further, he says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? "'Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, "'What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? "'But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, "'and all these things will be added to you.'" Do you hear the promised provision that comes through God's covenant love? Moreover, Paul declares, "'If God is for us, who can be against us? "'He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all.'" How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you hear the provision? It's not simply covenant love giving protection, but there is covenant love giving extravagant provision and also position that God lifts you up from despair and declares, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son so that we, Might receive adoption as sons, not simply as a daughter, but as a firstborn son, receiving receiving a full inheritance. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God, that you are not a slave, not a pauper. But you have a new position, not simply as a daughter or a child of the king, but one who has the full rights of the firstborn son. And there is absolutely no reason that you should be treated like a son, let alone adopted as a son. It is the extravagance of God's grace, the extravagance of his covenant love to shower you with grace upon grace, with protection, with provision, and with position because of God's covenant love that comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. In a moment here, I am going to show you a wonderful picture of covenant love. And I know for many of you, it is a picture that is far from your reality. It is probably for some of you, it is far from anything that you have ever witnessed in your life. And it's something that you have ever experienced, and maybe something that you have far, that it is something that is far from the reality of your current relationships. But my point in showing this picture is not so much to reflect on your situation, but rather that you would get a glimpse of God's covenant love for you and that you would stand amazed at God's covenant love for you, and that you would live secure in the extravagant, illogical, the security of the extravagant, illogical covenant love that God shows for you. I'm about to play for you is the resignation speech of a man by the name of Robertson McQuilkin. He was the president of Columbia Bible College, and at the time that he was president, the school was really just gaining its stride. And he was just coming into the pinnacle of his career. The school had grown in notoriety, it had grown in reputation, it had grown in size, it was expanding, it was doing remarkable work. McQuilkin himself had just recently launched a radio ministry that had picked up a national broadcast, and they were about to go global with the broadcast. And right before they were about to do so, he resigned because... his covenant faithfulness and this is his resignation speech
1: I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one because circumstances dictated it Uh, Muriel now uh, in the last couple of months seems to be almost happy when with me and almost never happy when not with me in fact she seems to feel trapped becomes very fearful sometimes almost terror and when she can't get to me there can be anger she's in distress but when i'm with her she's happy and contented and so i must be with her at all times and you see it's not only that i promised in sickness and in health till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person.
0: That is the power of covenant love. It is a glimpse of God's love for you. And may you live securely knowing God's covenant love. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your covenant love, your loyal love, your dependable kindness, your committed affection, your steadfast love. Father, thank you that the love you show to us is not dependent upon us, but is dependent upon you and your faithfulness to your covenant. Father, may we, in turn, not only embrace that love and receive that love and know that love, but in so doing, may your covenant love flow through us into all of our relationships For the honor of your name we pray. Amen. God's love, God's grace to us is truly amazing.
1: Let's stand. Sing to him.